you got a Bible this morning, open to Psalms 30. Um, this psalm, I, I, really, I really, really like it. I, it was really amazing what God um, showed me this week. I felt like this week, and I, and I think it's for you. I think that's why you're here, because God wanted to tell you about this today. So if you got a Bible, go to Psalms 30. Um, the name of the title of today's message is Rededicate the House. Rededicate the House. And there's this one verse, verse 7, that I want to read, and then we'll jump into this whole thing. Verse 7 said, By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. In other words, God made me strong. You hid your face, and I was dismayed. God, I just thank you that when we uh, live by your power and your strength, God, you make our mountain strong. But God, when we turn away from you and get self-reliant, you hide your face and we get dismayed. God, I pray today would be a day that we would put our trust in you. Um, I just pray today, God, your strength. I just pray, God, that just like Samuel, uh, the little boy in front of the altar, he said, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. God, we just say that to you with all our heart, all the way our God, speak to me. I need to hear from God today. And we pray that with all our heart. And everyone said, amen. 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 Uh, you might have known this before, but Blessed City Church, our, our whole vision of this church is this, that we would be a presence, uh, we a church overflowing with God's presence. And what that means is we want God to be experienced, felt, known, that you would be confident in your relationship with God, that you wake up tomorrow morning and you'd be able to say, hi God, and you would hear him speak to you, that you would know his heart and his purpose for your life, that we would be a people overflowing with the knowing and the presence of God that we would see people that are lost saved, we would see culture transformed, and we would see God exalted. It happens not because we're really smart. It happens because we know him. Amen. It happens because he has spoken to us. He's worked in our life. It's not that we get perfect. It's that he starts flowing through us. Amen. So this psalm, Psalms 30, it's interesting because it was written by a guy named David, and if you know the story of David, it's the same guy that killed Goliath. And if you know that story, here he was, this young man. And if you know, I mean, everybody I think knows the story of David and Goliath, but he took seven stones and he said, this giant of a man is opposing them. And he says to, the, to him, he says, I, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord my God. And he took a stone and a rock and he hurled it at Goliath. Goliath got hit. It sunk into his forehead. He fell over. David rushed over, took the man's sword, took Goliath's sword, chopped his head off. Welcome to church. <laughs> and chopped his head off and they defeated the enemy that day. David goes on to have this epic life. He goes on and he ends up serving the king, King Saul. Uh, Saul gets jealous because all of the women start singing all these songs about how Saul, you're great, but David's really great. And so he gets kind of intimidated. He ends up, David would be playing his harp to calm David, Saul's nerves. Saul would actually take spears and toss them at David. He would be dodging spears while he's playing his harp. Good thing, da um, you know, uh, Nick doesn't have that problem this morning, that we're hucking spears at him in the morning. But he's having this problem. He ends up fleeing for his life. Dave, um, Saul starts pursuing him, and he's running for his life. All these guys, these nomadic guys, start joining him. And he has all of these, like, 
the rejects of culture start joining this guy, and they are running, fleeing through their life with David. Couple times, Saul almost kills him, almost takes him out. It doesn't happen. Long story short, Saul ends up dying in battle, and David is crowned king. He becomes king of the nation, and then things start getting really good. In all of this, David is like totally trusting in God, and he becomes king over the nation, and he just starts winning battles, starts taking over territory. Things start going really, really well. And then verse 7 happens. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, and I was dismayed. Here was what happened to David. He started having the favor of God on his life, started, things started going good, and then he became self-reliant. He's like, I got this. I got this great kingdom. I got, I got finances. I got everything I need. I got this. And when you turn your face and say, I got this, God turns his face. It's like we're cutting ourselves off from the source, but we still feel pretty good because you got money in the bank. You got friends over here. You got a, a track record of success. And that's when things started to go sideways. Anybody ever been there? Where you tried to be self-reliant, what typically happens is things start to fade. We actually cut ourselves off from the source of what we need. That's exactly what David did. And he started making some decisions that were not the best. He, he killed a man named Uriah to get to his wife. And then he had, a date, he had a son named Amon. Amon was kind of a punk. Actually, he was, he was more than a punk. He was an evil dude. He fell in love with his half-sister, um, Tamar, and then he ended up um, abusing her, um, totally doing some horrible things to her. And another son, Absalom, took notice of this. You ever been around injustice and you'd seen somebody do something wrong? Absalom saw this and he's like, you like defiled my sister, you, you hurt her, and he took Tamar into his house. Absalom has a daughter and he names her Tamar after his half-sister. And David, all the while, this king on the throne, what does he do? Nothing. He doesn't confront Amon about what he did. He doesn't talk to Absalom about, about his sister. There's this thing festering underneath. David does nothing. You guys, we have to be people that are willing to have the difficult conversations. We have to be people that are willing to go into awkward and say, hey, this isn't okay. And so David does nothing. Two years go by. Absalom invites Amon to a, to a dinner party. At the dinner party, Absalom kills his brother. What does David do? Nothing. Doesn't punish Absalom, doesn't say anything, nothing. In fact, he won't even talk to Absalom, nothing. They live next to each other. And you ever, ever been there where you're close to somebody, but it's like your world's apart? And there's no conversation happening. There's no reconciliation. In fact, there's such a divide. And David's over here being king on his own. And here's his son festering with anger, festering and looking at his dad and saying, Dad, you could have made this not happen. Why did you let this happen? And there's this stewing in his heart. And all the while, David does nothing. Things start to keep festering in Absalom's heart and 
His heart starts to turn away from his dad, and Absalom starts to go to the city gate. And he was said that Absalom would sit in the city gate, and that's where everybody would come in. And they would, when people from other towns would come and they would have a meeting with the king, they would say, Absalom will be there. He would greet them and say, Welcome to the city. Why are you here? And he would say, Well, you know, I'm here because I'm going to meet with the king, and I have this issue, and da 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 da. And Absalom would say, Oh, if, if only there was someone that would actually take your situation seriously. And he would listen to them, and he would be like, oh, I'm so sorry for you. And I am so, man, man, if I was king, man, I would make it better. I, I want to say this to all of you that wish that you had more authority than you have, be careful. Because you might get your wish. And there is Absalom turning, it said this, he turned the hearts of the people away from David. You guys, I think this is such an important thought because I, one of the biggest things I think happens in all of us is you have a conversation. So Nick and I are having a conversation and Marcus, you know, he wears orange shirt. He wears green shirts. And I, I can't stand that he wears green shirts. And, and so I tell Nick about this and, I, and I'm frustrated with Marcus. I don't talk to Marcus. I talk to Nick about it. You know what I just did? I took my offense and I gave it to Nick. And now Nick is holding this offense in his hands. He's like, what am I supposed to do with this? Now, what happens often is then I get my heart right, and I, maybe I go talk to Marcus. I'm like, okay, I'm sorry, bro. I, I shouldn't have had a problem with you wearing orange shirts. Like, Will you forgive me? And whatever. We talk it out. We figure it out, and we're fine. But what about Nick? He's still holding this thing. Can you see the damage of gossip? Can you see the damage of holding offense? It takes it, and if I hold offense in my heart, I will be like Absalom. I will sit in the city gate, and his offense towards his daddy just started doling out to everybody around him. And he was creating a division between himself or his dad and everyone else, and his dad didn't even know. There's this little tiny book called The Tale of Three Kings. And in the book, it talks about the heart of David, the heart of Saul, and the heart of Absalom. Saul was the guy that came before David. And Saul's whole thing was, I'm going to build myself a kingdom. And in his pride, it became his downfall. And then there was Absalom, and he got offended with his father. And then you have David. There we go. I got, uh, I got you. Preacher lost his train of thought. That's not that hard to do, making me lose my train of thought. Tale of Three Kings. Heart of David, heart of Saul, heart of Absalom. Saul wanted his own kingdom. Absalom tried to steal a kingdom. And David, in the end, said, it's not my kingdom. It's not my life. It's so easy to get offended, and it's so easy to get prideful. And God looks at us, and he says, would you say it's my kingdom? And would you trust that I will make wrong things right? Now, David 
legitimately had some things that he needed to figure out. Can we give it up for Mr. Nick Thompson? I mean, Tim. Tim Kearns, back at the sound. They legitimately had... I'm just going to get confused. That's okay. Um, where am I? <laughs> you guys are amazing. Anybody want to tag team with me this morning? This is great. Willy, did someone say Willy Wonka? Willy Wonka? Marcus? No, okay. I think the point I'm trying to make is offense kills. And when I share my offense with someone other than that person, I end up now giving them my offense. Now they're carrying offense that was never their own, and now they have to figure it out. Folks, we need to be those that are willing to take the awkward conversation. And you know what? David should have went to his son. It was David's responsibility. But Absalom, buddy, who cares whose responsibility it is? Make it right. Don't let your heart get poisoned. But what happens? So what Absalom ends up doing is he ends up turning the hearts of the people away from David, his father. And one day he actually hosts a party, brings a bunch of the military, all these people there, and they end up leading an insurrection. And they, in a day, take the kingdom away from David. David finds himself fleeing for his life from his son. Talk about a dysfunctional family. He's fleeing from his life from his son. While he's fleeing from his life, there's this guy. And he starts throwing rocks at David as David's walking along. So he's walking along with all his, all his military guys, the same guys that were running with him the first time that he was running for his life. Those same guys are with him. And there's this guy on the hill tossing rocks and dirt down at David. And he's cursing David. He's cursing David and he says to him, get out, get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. The Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul in whose place you reign. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. See, your evil is on you. You are a man of blood. See, that bad stuff that's going on, see, you deserve it. You've earned this. Now God's going to take you down. But this guy didn't realize this simple thing. God delights in showing mercy. David's walking along having dirt and rocks thrown in his head. And one of his guys, Abishai, comes over and says, my Lord, can I go chop his head off? He actually says that. And David says, no, don't do it. David said to Abishai, behold, your son seeks my life. My son seeks my life. How much more than this Benjamite? Leave him alone. Let him curse. For the Lord has told him to. It may be that God will look on the wrong done to me and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing today. So David and his men went on the road while Shemiel went along, not Shmeagol like in Lord of the Rings, but Shemiel, <laughs> went along on the hillside opposite him, cursing him as he went, throwing stones at him and flinging dust. Could you imagine being that guy? You're David. This guy's cursing you every way all on the road. But David decided this simple thing. He knew he had messed it up as a father. He knew that he had messed it up in different things. His sin, he was very well aware of. And he simply said this, okay, I am actually not going to defend myself. I'm actually going to let God defend me. And you know what? 
if God has an issue with me, I just give myself because the judgment of God on my life is way better than any person. So I'm not even going to utter a word of defense. I'm just going to let it be. God can have his way in my life. Matthew 7, 1 through 2 says this. Don't judge and criticize and condemn others so that you may not be judged and criticized and condemned yourself. For just as you judge and criticize and condemn others, you will be judged and criticized and condemned. For the same way that you use, that you deal it out to others, it will be measured to you. How much mercy do you want to receive? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. In the end of the story, Absalom, he's killed by David's men. And David doesn't rejoice. He actually weeps because his son dies. He never reconciled with his son. He never got to make it right. He had all these, you ever have those shoulda, woulda, coulda? I wish I would have talked to him. I had all this opportunity, but, but I, I didn't take the moment. I, I didn't get reconciled. I didn't deal with it. And here he is. He's not just lost one son. He's lost two because of his inaction. So here's David, and he comes back into the city. And at the top of this psalm, it says this, a psalm of David, a song at the dedication of the temple. And really, that word temple really should say house. The dedication of his house. The rededication of his house. He's coming in, all his flaws have been on full display. Anybody ever been there? All your flaws on full display? I failed someone here. I didn't do right that there. Everybody's been whispering about this thing with David and with Bathsheba and I. Like, he's done all this stuff. It's not okay. And now he's walked through hell and he's coming back in. And what's his response? He writes a song. And in the song, he's basically saying, God, I am rededicating myself to you. He comes and he says, I'm going to praise you, in verse 1, God, for you have drawn me up, and you have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you helped me. You healed me. O Lord, you brought my soul up from Sheol, or the place of death. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Three months ago, my wife and I were at a conference in Dallas, and this, this lady had a vision for and I believe it was it was it was with me in it, but I believe it was really speaking about us as a church. And in it, she saw this big old pit, and in the pit were a whole bunch of people. It was all these people, and every people were like reaching up, and they had they 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 were. She they said that they were dirty, they were crying out, they were stuck in the pit, and and there we were, and we were reaching in. And someone would get pulled out. And as soon as they got pulled out, they were instantly clean. And then you know what they did? That same person would turn to the edge of the pit and reach down and say, I'm helping you too. And then they would pull someone out and then it would just keep happening. I think that God's plan, at least part of it, for Blessed City, is that we would be those that would stand along the edge of the pit Reach our hand in and say, I'm not letting you go. You're worth it. 
Your past does not define you. Your failures don't define you. What people say about you does not define you. What God says about you defines you. I'm reaching out. Come on, let's go. You'll be clean right now. I think this is what God's called us to do. Why? Because he so loved us, we can't help but love him. You drew me up out of the pit. I really love this part. It says, uh, verse 4, it says, Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks in his holy name. Uh, I really like verse 5. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor for a lifetime. Weeping might tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. His anger is but for a moment. How terrifying to have God angry at you. Did you know God hates sin? He hates evil. He hates all that comes against what he has set up and ordained. He hates it. And he one day will destroy all sin, all evil, everything. And I don't want to be attached to any of it. I want to be free from all of that. But God's passion, God's heart is that he would never destroy but redeem his favor is for a lifetime. I was really struck on these words. It says, weeping might tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Anybody ever been through that night? That night of weeping? <laughs> that night of, and you know what's happening? You know why you're weeping in the night? You can't see anything. It's dark. It's scary. You have no sense that there's going to be any hope anything good coming your way, all you know that it's dark and you hope that it's going to work out. You're in that place of the shadow of death. You're in that place of turmoil and you're like, ah. Joy comes in the morning. Why? Because we start to see that he's right there. He's right next to you. To any of you that are right now in the middle of the dark valley, I just want to say he's right there. He's right there. He hasn't left you. He hasn't forsaken you. He is right there. Weeping might be for the night, but joy comes in the morning. God wants to open our eyes to see that he's right there. You can trust him. David felt the consequences of all his sin. His inaction with his sons how he messed things up with Bathsheba, all the places where he failed it. But you know what was so beautiful about the heart of God? He loses everything, and David, while he's being cursed, instead of cursing back and defending himself, he's like, you know what? I'm just going to throw myself into the hands of God. Because that guy, he's right. I messed up. God, mercy. And he received the mercy of God because he cried out. Verse 8 says, To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. Help in the depths, David realized his purpose. And you know what his purpose was? To make much of who God was. Yeah. 
he says, he says, you have turned, you have, he said, um, oh Lord, I cry out to you. What profit is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? I'm learning more and more all the time that when I live a life to honor and praise God, to make much of who he is, I find myself more fully alive than anything this world could offer. When I orient my life around God, how can I glorify you today? How can I make much of who you are today? I find my life finding meaning and purpose in all of that space. We got a world looking for purpose, and God's like, it's right here. It's me. It's me. In me, you'll find your purpose. In me, you'll find your freedom. In me, you'll find your satisfaction. In me, you will find everything that you were made for. In me, let your lips praise. Let your life praise who I am. Verse 11 says, you've turned from me my mourning into dancing. You've loosed my sackcloth. They put sackcloth on when they were grieving over loss. Tim, you can put that little track on. You clothed me with gladness. I'm really glad that God puts the clothing on us of gladness, that it's not a forced smile that we have to put on our face, but God actually is the one that puts the smile on our life. And then he says this, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. Oh, Lord, my God, I give thanks to you forever. I was looking at that, and I'm like, what's my glory? You know, your glory is all that makes you shine. It's your ability. It's your talent. It's when Nick gets up and plays guitar. It's when you go home and bake a cake. It's how you mother your children. It's in all the spaces where you, you're building things and creating things and expressing yourself and and your intellect is shining, and all that you have, your ability, your resource, all that you bestow, your leadership gift, all of these things, this is your glory. David had built a pretty impressive kingdom in the space of his glory. He had armies and built walls. He, he conquered things and in his administration. He set things up to take care of people, all of this. And in his prosperity, he turned his heart, and he's like, my glory's for me. In that space, David coming back after that guy cursing him, after his inaction with his sons, he comes back in to back to his house and he's, I gotta rededicate my house. Because I've made it about me. So God, my glory, my strength, my gifting, it's not for me anymore. That my glory might sing your praise and not be silent. You know, in that moment with Absalom when David could have said something to his son, there's something about living for the glory of God that even helps us to step into the difficult places. David's like, I'm not going to be silent anymore. I'm going to do the right thing at the right time. Why? Because I don't fear people. I don't live for their approval. I'm not living for my comfort. I'm simply asking this simple question. Father God, does this please you? And that orientation, does this please you, shifts me into doing things that I would never want to do, 
things that freak me out, but because I'm not living for my own glory anymore, my glory is now for him. I'm not going to be silent. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. It says in the Bible, it says that he's near to the brokenhearted, to the crushed in spirit. I heard a story a while ago about a, a poor couple and the husband, the grandmother died and she was very wealthy and she left them this really expensive vase. Beautiful, beautiful vase. This thing is like probably worth like 10 grand and they had this shamble of a house, three bedroom, two bath, shamble of a house. They had this front entry room and they had this dilapidated table and holes in the carpet and they put the vase in the middle of the room right there and it looked really out of place. People would come over and they would say, look at our vase, isn't that really beautiful? And they felt kind of like awkward about it so they took the, took the table and at a garage sale they found a nicer table and they put it there. The week later they, they found a nice tablecloth and they put it underneath the vase and like, well that looks a little better. And they ripped out the carpet and they, they, they found some nicer carpet and they, they covered it and then they realized the walls weren't that nice so they painted the walls and then they started walking around their house and like you know we could really have a change here and one little by little their entire house was transformed because of this gift of a vase that they were given it got put in the center of their life and they realized we need to make a nicer place for this thing When God comes into my heart and my life, it's like the priceless vase that gets dropped into the middle of my heart. And Jesus is right here and got anger right next to him. That's not going to work. Jesus is right here and I got lust all throughout my life. And slowly but surely, this priceless prize, this priceless treasure starts taking up more space. David comes back into Jerusalem and he's like, he's got to be the center of this house again. Is he the center of your house? The center of your heart? We're going to take this time and I'm going to make the entire space a, uh, an altar before God. An altar is a place that you just come and do business with God. I'm going to ask you to turn your heart into God right now and can you just turn that up just a tad? I want to stand, want to kneel, want to sit, whatever, but I, I, um, I encourage you to actually get space just you and God right now. So maybe even take a step away from somebody. Is he at the center of your house? Is he at the center of your life? Do you need some mercy today? Some healing? Can we just do this? If you want, can we just lift our hands to heaven? Say this out with our hearts. Today we pray that we would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. We want to know his will. We want to know his will. May God bless you. May he keep you.
May his face shine upon you and may you have peace. I just thank God. I thank you that this is the day that you made and that this week is a week meant for your good for everyone in this room. We surrender to you. Everyone said that? We surrender to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you. Have an incredible week.